It's Minnesota Now. I'm Kathy Werzer. It's a Valentine's miracle. Many Minnesotans woke up to almost seven inches of fresh snow this morning. We're going to get a statewide reaction. Plus, we'll hear how plans for the cross-country ski World Cup are shaping up for this weekend. I bet they're pretty happy about the snow. Teachers across the state are deep in contract negotiations. We'll hear from the other side of the bargaining table. Plus, we'll listen to music from the Hmong Folk Choir. They're focusing better health outcomes for singers with dementia. Speaking of music, of course, we have the Minnesota Music Minute and the Song of the Day. All of it comes your way right after the news. Live from NPR News, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Former President Donald Trump's first criminal trial is now scheduled to start March 25th. The case brought by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg could pull the frontrunner for the GOP presidential nomination away from the campaign trail. Here's NPR's Jimena Bustillo. Last year, Bragg brought forth a 34-count felony indictment on Trump for falsifying New York business records in order to conceal damaging information before the 2016 presidential elections, including hush money payments to adult film star Stormy Daniels. The case will now go to a jury trial next month, despite Trump's attempts to throw out the charges. The trial is expected to last several weeks, and Trump is required to attend every day in court, which means he may not be able to be on the campaign trail as often as he would like as the general election kicks into full steam. Jimena Bustillo, NPR News. A hearing connected to Georgia's racketeering case against Trump is in recess. Trump's team argues that the Fulton County District Attorney should be disqualified from prosecuting the state's case against Trump and others. The defense contends Fonnie Willis, a Democrat, had an inappropriate relationship with a special prosecutor that presents a conflict of interest in the DA's election interference case against Trump. Police in Kansas City, Missouri, say they have detained and are questioning three people in connection with yesterday's shooting during the Chiefs' Super Bowl victory parade. Two of them are juveniles. Police Chief Stacey Graves says investigators don't think it was terror-related. Preliminary investigative findings have shown there was no nexus to terrorism or homegrown violent extremism. This appeared to be a dispute between several people that ended in gunfire. At least one person was killed, and authorities say at least 22 others were injured. Israel and Hezbollah say they are preparing for war. Israeli and Lebanese authorities say an Israeli soldier and at least 10 Lebanese civilians have been killed in cross-border fire. Israel says it killed senior Hezbollah commanders. And Pierre's Daniel Estrin has the latest from Tel Aviv. Since the beginning of the Israel-Hamas war, there has been low-grade warfare between the Iranian-backed Hezbollah militant group in Lebanon and Israel. That intensified Wednesday. Rockets from Lebanon killed an Israeli soldier at a base and landed deep inside northern Israel in the city of Tzfat. Israel responded with strikes on Hezbollah sites. The strikes reached deep into the southern Lebanese city of Nabatia. Lebanese state media said seven members of a family were killed when their building was hit. Israel on Thursday launched further strikes targeting Hezbollah. A Hezbollah official said the group is prepared for the possibility of expanding the war. Israel's military chief of staff said the same. There are French and U.S. diplomatic efforts to avert an Israel-Lebanon war. Daniel Estrin, NPR News, Tel Aviv. U.S. stocks mixed this hour. The Dow is up 161 points. You're listening to NPR News. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Fisher Investments. 
Fisher is committed to helping clients stay on track to reach their financial goals and enjoy a comfortable retirement. FisherInvestments.com. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. Around Minnesota right now, skies are sunny. It's a brilliant white landscape in much of southern Minnesota. There is some light snow in places like Hibbing. It's going to be cool today. Highs will be in the teens in the northwest, near 30 in the southeast. At noon in Thief River Falls, it's 11. It's 26 in Grand Marais. And outside Laura's House of Hair in Leota, Minnesota, it's 21. I'm Kathy Worser with Minnesota News Headlines. St. Paul teachers are voting today on whether or not to authorize a strike. Elizabeth Schockman reports. After several mediation sessions, including two this week, failed to produce an agreement, more than 3,000 of the district's teachers, educational assistants, and school and community service professionals have the chance to vote on whether or not to strike. Union leaders say they want more staff for mental health teams in every building, increased pay, lower health insurance costs, and more help for educators working with students who have special needs. District leaders said that while the mediation sessions have been productive, the two groups remain far apart in terms of how much the district is able to invest and how much the union is asking for. I'm Elizabeth Schockman. It's tax time, and there are a lot of Minnesotans who are frustrated over the IRS's decision to tax state rebate checks. Clay Masters has more on that. Rebate recipients owe between $26 to $57 on their federal taxes, out of payments of $260 per person. The IRS ruled that they were not pandemic aid because the COVID-19 health emergency had lapsed. Republican Senator Steve Druskowski says the rebates didn't get enough scrutiny before passage. He told the state official in charge that there's blame to go around. You know, we can we can castigate the governor or your office. We can castigate we can castigate the legislature because we were lazy. Revenue Commissioner Paul Marquardt says he lobbied the IRS unsuccessfully. Like I said, it was a big disappointment. We've got a good working relationship with the IRS and that, but you know, this is in you know, we grudgingly accept the decision, of course. Taxpayers were sent a form to file with 2023 income taxes reflecting their rebate amount. I'm Clay Masters at the Capitol. It seems like winter's keeping us on our toes this year. After an unusually warm and rainy January, those of us in the central and southern part of the state woke up to as much as seven inches of fresh snow this morning. It's the biggest snowfall of the weirdly wimpy winter so far. For many of us, the snow is a welcome sight, including for Kathy Kukella and her dog Bert in Minneapolis. This is our first walk out. Uh, (laughs) He's remembering snow. And I'm just delighted at the bright sunshine and the blue sky and the powdery white snow. NPR meteorologist Sven Sundgaard is here to talk about the snow and what we can expect going into the weekend. That wasn't a bad Valentine's Day snowstorm at all. No, it was kind of nice. You know, you it forced everybody to stay home with their Valentine maybe and enjoy a little quality time. We haven't had these snowed in uh, nights yet this winter. Pretty incredible out there. And you know, while I know a lot of people like to complain about winter, I think most people, it seems like, actually are enjoying it because it, it we really were overdue for this. Yeah, I think you're right. So who got what? 
Yeah, we got uh, almost seven inches, 6.9 at MSP, 7.2 in Victoria, uh, just over a half foot in White Bear Lake. Now, as you went north and south of the Twin Cities in that line that continued uh, up to the west in South Dakota, it was less, three inches in Mankato. Uh, Waite Park, uh, just outside St. Cloud, had two and a half and just under a couple inches in Rochester. But it broke a 74-year-old record for Valentine's Day snowfall. So that back in 1950, we broke it by a half inch. Biggest snowfall since last spring, March 31st to April 1st. We had eight and a half inches of snow then. And then you might remember a week and a half later, we had that string of 80s to almost 90 degree temperatures. Talk mm-hmm. about a weird year last year, too. And then up to this point, we only had 7.3 inches of snow for the season. So we nearly doubled our seasonal snowfall just in this one storm. But we are still, Kathy, more than a foot and a half behind for seasonal snowfall. 20.2 inches behind at MSP. And Duluth is still more than 40 inches behind. Northern Minnesota, it's worth noting, got nothing out of this system. Okay. So it's one system, right? I mean, uh, and it's yep. been really warm this winter. What are the chances of seeing more snow? Well, I'm sure we will see some more snow, but will we see another storm? That's hard to say. You know, March can always throw something at us. And, you know, a lot of people may be wondering, well, why did we finally get it now? What's been going on this winter? And of course, it's been very mild, but it's really been more of a luck of the draw thing. There has been some snowfalls to the north way below normal. But we also had a lot of snow to the south. People might remember when we had that week of cold weather, places like Kansas, uh, Missouri had quite a bit of snowfall, and we just happened to miss out that. So we finally just were in the storm track for a brief period. There's no more snow in sight, unfortunately, for the next seven to 10 days. In fact, we're looking at above normal temperatures returning, probably near 40 by Sunday and into the 40s next week. In fact, one of our models, the European model, next week has us 50 degrees on Wednesday. So if you enjoy the snow, Get out there and enjoy it these next couple days. Oh, it's likely to melt. Oh, shoot. All right. So let's talk a yeah. little bit about here about February warmth. Um, gosh, mm-hmm. we're almost halfway through. Oh, my goodness. And it's a long month, too. Uh, yeah. yeah, we've been well, averaging eight. Yeah, 18 to, oh, yeah, sorry. Well, it's one day longer, though, this year, the leap year. That's true. 18 to 19 degrees above normal for the Twin Cities so far. So we're going to have kind of a couple days of a correction uh, today and tomorrow, a little cooler. But, you know, the number one spot for February is 1998, which was also a super El Nino year. And it looks as though we could very well beat that when we plug in the forecast numbers for the rest of the month. So, uh, Despite this little hiccup of some snow and two days of cooler weather, this has been a really off-the-charts February. Wow. All right. So you mentioned that this snow is likely going to melt. So this mm-hmm. more of this super warm weather coming in. Uh, I'm wondering yeah. briefly, though, for folks who's going to talk about this, uh, Friday, it'll be uh, colder. So folks heading out to the World mm-hmm. Cup ski race this weekend might expect what? Yeah, it'll be colder, but not crazy cold where you can't get out and enjoy it. Just sort of that normal cold you'd expect in February. Highs mostly in the 20s to 30s on Saturday. Should have sunshine. Looks like a great weekend. Tonight it'll be cold, though. Sub-zero northern Minnesota. Sub-zero wind chills for most of the state early tomorrow. All right. Sven, thanks. You're very welcome, Kathy. That is Sven Sungard, our meteorologist. By the way, you can always stay up to date with what Sven's forecasts are talking about and what's happening in the weather by going to the Updraft blog at mprnews.org. Okay, there are many happy Minnesotans who are snow lovers, and that includes the legions of cross-country ski fans, not to mention the organizers of the Cross-Country Skiing World Cup this weekend that I mentioned. It's the first time in 23 years the circuit has included a U.S. competition. Anticipation is very high after the pandemic canceled the first race back in 2020. The organizers of this year's Lopet Cup have been working around the clock to put on an event that until now, well, didn't have any natural snow. 
The executive director of the Lopet Foundation, Claire Wilson, is joining us ahead of this weekend's race. Claire, thanks for taking the time. I'm sure you're busy. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Well, you woke up this morning, you saw the snow on the ground, and you said... It's magic. The, someone loves the Lopet, is what we said. It's just, it's thrilling to have it come now. So what does it mean for you? I mean, is it just a big relief? Is it more work? How do you look at this? It's a little bit of both. I mean, on one hand, it is so beautiful. And now Theodore Worth Park looks as lovely as it could um, you could imagine in the winter. I Jesse Diggins just skied by. It is beautiful. Obviously, it's a little more work for us in terms of preparing for the spectators and snow removal, which suddenly we all forgot how to do. <laughs> but, you know, having planned a snow-based event for a solid year with no snow up until this very moment, it's just, it's joyful. Now, you had a track of artificial snow already in place. Is that right? That's correct. We were prepared to hold the race um, and regardless of whether or not we received the snowfall. Okay. So um, you have this artificial snow base and now some natural snow on, on top. D- does that make a difference in terms of how skiers might navigate the course? Well, you know, the skiers are out on it right now, and it does. It certainly has maybe for the time being slowed it down a bit. But once the snow gets mixed in there with the snow base that was already there, it is going to be a beautiful surface for the skiers on Saturday and Sunday. So it sounds like you might be out of the danger zone or, well, as Sven said, it's going to get warmer here, but it sounds like you might have some time. (laughs) Oh, there is nothing Mother Nature could throw at us now that we cannot handle. (laughs) We are so ready for this race. There are, you know, thousands and thousands of people pouring into the cities right now for it. And um, Mother Nature can, can, anything can happen now. We are ready. How many people are you expecting to show up to watch? How many thousands? Well, we have over, we're expecting over 35,000 people over the course of the weekend. Wow. Okay. So that's why this was, this is a really, really big deal. Um, and how many competitors? I should know this, but I don't. This is a huge deal. So we have 180 competitors from 21 different nations. The world's best skiers are skiing in our public park right now in Minneapolis. Tell me about the prep leading up to this. I mean, obviously, I can hear in your voice, you're, you're obviously very excited and pretty relieved. But what has it been like leading up to this moment? You know, Kathy, it's been incredible. We have had, we are a small nonprofit putting on an international event in a year where it did not snow. So it was literally hundreds of volunteers and staff together preserving this trail of snow through that intense warm up. So that included people, you know, us us asking people to stay off the trails. It included loading in snow from other areas. It included blanketing the snow to save it. So really, it has been a year of prep with a solid three months of intense work to save our snow. Uh, Looking back on everything that has happened, uh, would you do it again? For this moment right now, to see these skiers skiing on this course where typically we have our school kids from North Minneapolis, all of our rec skiers, all the legions who've learned to ski at Theodore Worth, and these world-class skiers skiing on our world-class ski trails, we, we couldn't be prouder and more excited. Every inch of work was worth it. By the way, Claire, are you a skier? I am a skier, yes. You plan on getting out yet today or tomorrow? <laughs> 
Oh, I sure hope so. We're reserving it for the athletes, but I'm hoping they'll let me sneak on for just a minute. Because you haven't had a whole lot of opportunity to really do any skiing this this winter, that's oh for certain. Oh my gosh, yes. All of us have been bereft just missing the, you know, missing the sport we love and the snow we love. And so I think there were a lot of tears here today. I think just the relief that it's actually happening the magic that the snow brings us all. And we just wanted to welcome people to snowy Minneapolis. And um, I guess the universe wanted that too. Claire Wilson, best of luck. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. See you on the trails. Claire Wilson is the executive director of the Lopet Foundation. And of course, she was talking about Jesse Diggins, Afton's own Jesse Diggins. She's in town and she's going to be competing we're going to talk with Jess after the race weekend. Tune in Monday at noon to hear how Jesse Diggins felt about her homecoming and the race. This is our Minnesota Music Minute. You are listening to the Roe Family Singers with their song, Little Trouble. It's off their brand new album called Sisters and Brothers. They're playing all over the Twin Cities with their new album, including a show at the Minnesota Bluegrass Winter Weekend Festival in Plymouth on March the 2nd. Very happy people putting on that lopet, obviously, because of the snow. Uh, some people here in MP at the NPR headquarters in downtown St. Paul, a little more, shall we say, nervous uh, leading into the last day of the winter member drive. It's going to end tomorrow, and we've made great strides, but... And there's always a but when you talk about member drives. We still need to raise more than $270,000 to meet this big goal, this budget goal, and stay on track. Now, last hour, you all did great in terms of making contributions. Gracie Stockton is back in the saddle to be with me here during the noon show. And, Gracie, we need to hear from 75 listeners by 1 o'clock this afternoon to stay on track. Indeed we do. Hello, Kathy. Fun to be with you on this side of everything. Um, Yes, we need to hear from 51 more people by 1 p.m. About in the last 80 minutes, we've heard from 100 of you, which is incredible, but we are behind. We still need to raise more than $270,000 to meet our budget by tomorrow night. So that's that's a pretty lofty goal. Um, as you know, member NPR News is member-supported public media, and it's a pretty selfless thing to do to give to NPR. It's it's not just supporting news for you. It's supporting news for you and your neighbors. So, Kathy, we need all of our listeners, 51 more listeners by 1 o'clock, to go ahead and go to nprnews.org to donate or call 1-800-227-2811. Gracie, we should say that uh, she has put up with me. Uh, she is my producer <laughs> on Morning Edition. She does fantastic work, and it's not easy getting up at oh dark thirty. And now she's doing this here with us on the noon show. So Gracie and I, and we've got a team of Morning Edition folks that uh, bring you the news every single day. 
And this is a special newsroom. And Gracie knows this. And producers, by the way, never, ever get their due. I mean, these are the people who do really the hardest work in a newsroom. It's a special newsroom. You've got producers who are fantastic, reporters specializing in politics to climate change to education, many other topics. They live in the communities they cover, which is so important. They know the players. They know the issues. And you know what? You helped grow our newsroom over all these years by making contributions for some of you year after year. If you've never made a contribution, this is your shining moment to join us and get in the fold. Make a contribution in any amount. It counts toward this big goal that we have to stay on track. The budget figures are set by our accountants. You get to participate by making a contribution. I'm talking about wherever you are, 51 people left to go on this goal, 1-800-227-2811, mprnews.org. What's it like to work in this newsroom? I'm curious. Oh, well, Kathy, well, working with you is absolutely a joy. I am happy to wake up at Odark 30 and put this thing on the air. We do have a great, great team of people. My fellow producers, Matt Alvarez and Lucas Levin, really keep the momentum going and, and make sure we are producing a great show for all of our members. Um, it's pretty fun. We do have reporters and people all across the state. You know, all of our people are out in communities working on community mm-hmm. journalism. And that's pretty special, but we need members like all of you, all of our listeners, 50 more listeners by 1 p.m. to make sure that we stay on our fundraising goals so that we can make this kind of reporting possible. Uh, it's definitely a pretty fun job. And, and you know, whether it's breaking news like that Lutzen Lodge fire or severe weather, even though this morning wasn't necessarily severe, it was the first time we've had a big snow since Halloween. So we were there with Morning Edition, making sure you were safe to get your day started, talking with Sven, making sure you had your updated forecast. And and that's just the kind of work we do. We are there when you need us with factual, timely information. But we need your help to make that possible. Please, please now, before the end of the day, we got to raise $270,000 in the day tomorrow. So please go to mprnews.org to donate or call 1-800-227-2811, Kathy. There's a partnership here between hosts and producers and a partnership between uh, NPR and our listeners, right? NPR News is really uh, created for you because of you. And in a sense, when you are a member, it's you're, you're creating it with us, right? Listener support, we keep saying this, but I think it's really important, Gracie. Listener mm-hmm. support is the most important source of funding at NPR News. That is why we make such a big deal out of asking you to give. Give if you can. I mean, obviously... I don't want you to give if you can't afford it. Don't do that. But if you can, put a price on what you listen to and how you listen to what you get from it. It could be $5 a month. That's the entry level. Start there. Start there. And I think you're going to find it's a fantastic thing to do. $5 a month, $10 a month, a one-time gift. It all counts. mprnews.org, 1-800-227-2811. Let us see. Oh, 48 donations left to go by 1 o'clock. Fantastic. Keep it going. Gracie, once people start, I tell you, it the momentum picks up and these goals just melt away. It, it really does. And it's pretty magical because I think when people hear that others are donating, they hear those numbers ticking down. It inspires them to say, you know what? I can afford that $5 a month. That That's a cup of 
coffee. If you brew coffee at home once a month, then that is going to make that $5 go really far to support the journalism we do here at NPR News. I have a comment here from Heather in Minnetonka. She donated and says, the variety of topics and points of view shared on NPR create meaningful conversations with my friends and family. I learned so much from your programming. Well, Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Heather, for donating. Please join Heather and become a member today. Donate at mprnews.org or go to 800-227-2811. Or, you know what, you can also increase your monthly gift if you are already a sustaining member. Give a gift membership. It all counts. Help this member drive succeed. mprnews.org. Today at Minnesota's biggest school district, teachers are voting to approve their contract after contentious negotiations. And at Minnesota's second largest school district, St. Paul, teachers are casting their vote on whether they want to authorize a strike. Education Minnesota, which is made up of 472 unions statewide, says nearly 40 percent of the state's districts have yet to reach teacher contracts, which officials say This is the slowest pace of contract negotiations and settlements in 20 years. Teachers across the state have held rallies, but we wanted to hear from the other side of the negotiating table. So joining us right now is Kirk Scheinewind, the executive director of the Minnesota School Board Association. Kirk, welcome back to the program. Good afternoon, and thanks for having me, Kathy. See, for folks not familiar with the process, because it is a little confusing possibly, what role do school boards play in contract negotiations? Right. There's there's nothing confusing about public school finances there, but I will I will just say that, um, yeah. I mean, Minnesota is a collective bargaining state, and it does require um, the exclusive rep uh, allows them to organize, and then they also have the school board on the um, who oversees the school district and manages the but manages and sets the budget. Um, are required every two years with their teachers union to collectively bargain. A, a package that relates to their salary and benefits. So that that is where we are today, um, looking at the next two years. So uh, the contract cycle that we have that we're currently in, um, do you agree with Education Minnesota? Are things going around, are things bumping along here? Are they going slowly, more slow than normal? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think what we are seeing, we are seeing things move a little bit slower than we have in the past. I don't think you can read anything more into that than um, the fact that um, they perhaps are taking a little bit more time. Um, I think there were a lot of legislative pieces that were passed last year that impact our bargaining. And as a result, I think there was some time needed to kind of fully understand what happened in the 23 legislative session. Um, and so I think one of the other pieces that we see is that, uh, um, you know, we see a, little, a few more folks going into the mediation phase, which is just a, a step to say we need somebody or third party to step in and help us um, shed some light on where are our commonalities and where are some of the pieces that maybe can get pushed to the side. Um, but yeah, I think we are. But I would also say that um, I think I think that opportunity isn't alarming. I think it's just the fact that it's taken a little bit longer perhaps to get to uh, get to yes or get to a solution. Scott Kroonquist, I know you know who he is of the mm-hmm. Minnesota 
Metro School Districts, Association of Metro School Districts, says that districts are likely to settle for less than their employees deserve, but it's going to be more than districts can afford. Why are so many districts struggling to make ends meet, especially after state lawmakers passed what was called a historic increase in education funding last year? Right, right. I think, I think, I think that's one of the challenges. As I talked about earlier, is like you know, public school finance is 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 and can be very complicated. And I think um, when you talk about it in very broad terms. Um, I think that uh, you look at the session, the budget setting session last year, and it was um, uh, for our public schools was well done. But I would also say that within that, um, there are an, there were MSBA came into the session and asking for five and five on the gen ed formula. We really believe that the and for folks who don't understand for folks who don't understand the gen ed formula, this is this is state money per pupil, a set amount of state money per pupil. That's exactly right. And so um, what what we uh, we believe that our boards and, and superintendents and administration are are with that money then are able to um, meet the needs of their their district, their community, their staff, the programs, local initiatives. Um, and as a result, we we get four and two, um, and then we got some money on the SPED cross subsidy that freed up some gen, some gen ed money. But there were a number of other categoricals that really dis- tell our districts where we need to spend it. And so we would rather hedge on the side of more flexibility and allowing our um, our school districts to use that money, whether it's through for um, paying their staff or programs or other needs that they have um, at the local level. So I think what we're, we're while they, they talked about the $2.2 billion, I think really what we're talking about is what is available to us. And with the categoricals, there may not be as much available for compensation and benefits as initially thought or initially described. Now, many districts, the COVID money's running out, right, that we, that was received from the federal government. Many districts are seeing declining enrollment. Um, how do those two factors factor into what's going on here? Right, right. And I think, I think one of the things that... Um, you're right. The, the COVID money was, was really a short-term kind of a bridge loan for our school districts who were going through a really, really tough time while also providing an education for our kids on a daily basis, whether it was remotely or in person. Um, and one of the things that we know really is that um, our districts use those for short-term solutions, right? And they you know, one-time money or short-term money should not be used for ongoing costs. And so with the, and and by and large, our districts have done that. Um, But we also know that um, that short-term money may not be there um, or will soon end for our school districts coming up in uh, 24 and 25. Um, I think the, the, the other part that, um, the other part that we talked about is declining enrollment. You point, mm-hmm. pointed that out. And I think that's one of the things that we see too. Um, and there isn't a superintendent in this state who doesn't have a whiteboard that has a projection of their pupils over the, you know, forecasting that. And because pupils are, the Minnesota formula is based on pupils. And so the more pupils 
um, that enter your school district doors, the more money that comes along with that. And so um, by the same token is if you have students who open enroll somewhere else, that money then goes with that that student. And so what we have seen over since the, the pandemic is we have seen a, a some a slow comeback. And so um, some pupils have either chosen to um, go to private school, homeschool, open enroll somewhere else. And so our districts are really managing, um, trying to manage or try to stay in front of the their enrollment issues because a swing of 50 to 100 students um, can mean a big budget, have a big budget impact or right. impact on the budget uh, for our school districts. I have about uh, less than a minute here, and so I need a brief answer. What would it take, do you think, to give teachers what they're asking for? Well, I think I think it's, um, I, I will be clear. I mean, our school boards, I think there's a commonality among our school districts and, and our, our, our school board members and our staff and our all of our people about um, having our kids graduate from college, life ready, college ready, all of those pieces. So there's a commonality there. And I, but I do think that um, uh, our boards really look at uh, when they, they're going through this process, look at it a longer term budget impact, um, more than just a two-year window. They're looking outward as well. So I think one of the things that we know that each local district's conditions are unique. And what we advise our school boards to do is you've got to be able to live within the settlement um, that you uh, offer. And so that that as a budget setting responsibility um, needs to be understood by the board. And so there's, there's great value in what our teachers do on a day-to-day basis and all of those folks who make our uh, school districts run. And so we're hopeful that um, both sides can certainly get to the point where they can agree on a, a package that, that both can agree with. All right. Wish you all well. Thank you, Kirk. All right. Thank you, Kathleen. Kirk Chinawind is the executive director of the Minnesota School Board Association. Programming is supported by Great River Energy, a not-for-profit wholesale electric power cooperative providing 27 Minnesota member co-ops with reliable, affordable, and cleaner electricity. More at greatriverenergy.com. Time for news with Emily Reese. Emily? Hello, Kathy. Israeli forces have stormed a hospital today in southern Gaza in seeking the remains of hostages taken by Hamas. Yesterday, Israel's army tried to evacuate thousands of displaced people who had taken shelter at Nasser Hospital in Khan Yunus. The southern city has been the main target of Israel's offensive against Hamas in recent weeks. Separately, Israel launched a second day of airstrikes in southern Lebanon just hours after a rocket attack killed an Israeli soldier. Police say the shooting that left one person dead and nearly two dozen injured after the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade appeared to stem from a dispute between several people. Police Chief Stacy Graves said today victims were between the ages of 8 and 47 years old. A mother of two was killed. Lisa Lopez-Galvan was a local radio DJ. Police said three people were detained and firearms were recovered. The shooting outside the city's historic Union Station happened despite the presence of more than 800 police officers.
Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says Democrats plan to constantly over the next year remind voters that it was Donald Trump, the likely Republican presidential nominee, who torpedoed a bipartisan bill on border enforcement. It's a strategy with significant political risk. Republicans have campaigned on border security for years, and public frustration is running high with the record number of illegal U.S. border crossings. Uh, Stingray who lives in an aquarium in the Appalachian Mountains, has found herself with child despite not seeing a male stingray for at least eight years. Charlotte is around Stingray, who lives at the Aquarium and Shark Lab in Hendersonville, North Carolina, which is very far from the coast. Charlotte's keepers thought she might have a tumor due to a quickly growing bump on her back, but an ultrasound revealed uh, up to four pups, which also explained why Charlotte was so hungry lately. Charlotte and other animals like sharks, birds, some insects, reptiles can produce asexually through a process called parthenogenesis. The pups are due in a couple of weeks. Humans can't do that, by the way, Kathy. I don't even know what to say about this. (laughs) There's many things I'm thinking right now, but I can't say it on the air. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. I appreciate Mm -hmm. it. Oh, my gosh. The things you'll learn here on this program. Well, we are, in the midst, we are in the midst of our winter member drive here. Tomorrow's the last day, by the way. And when you're listening, you may hear a little bit of um, anxiety, perhaps, or excitement in our voice as we start to come to the end here. Uh, a little bit of um, apprehension, perhaps, because we are a bit behind on this big goal of ours to raise $270,000 to meet our budget goals. So we are asking folks out there listening to Minnesota Now right now, 29 of you, wherever you are, to join Gracie Stockton, our producer, one of our producers here, and yours truly in making a contribution to support NPR News. 1-800-227-2811 is the number to call. You can go to nprnews.org. If you're online, just swipe over or click over and uh, get it done that way and check out the various thank you gifts. Gracie, Mm, uh, you are new to our newsroom. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Gracie's one of our producers, as I mentioned. So I, I think... If I'm not mistaken, you told me that uh, some of your family members are are members as well, uh, NPR members? Yes. Um, last member drive, Give to the Max Day, I learned that my mother had donated, shout out to Megan, and she was very excited about our NPR News socks. And then during Morning Edition today, I got a text that they had just donated to, and they were really, really excited about that match we had going on earlier with um, a, a really generous anonymous donor in Duluth. So... Yes, family members really also value the importance of public media. But we need all of our listeners, whether you haven't donated before, whether you're a sustaining member and think you can up what you're giving right now, it it really takes an entire community to fuel the future of public media and make sure that us at NPR News are out in your community doing community journalism to keep you informed and up to date, whether it's thoughtful conversations about education or stories about stingrays. So please, please go to nprnews.org right now and donate. We need 28 more listeners by 1 p.m. or you can call 1-800-227-2811, Kathy. I always love hearing about what listeners think of what we do and where they're listening and why they're listening. Doris from Fergus Falls. I'm going to give you a shout out, Doris. Doris has given and she says, I'm currently living in Idaho caring for my mom. Thank you, Doris, for doing that, by the way. I know as a caregiver, it's tough. 
She says, I listen every day and appreciate all that NPR has to offer, and I miss Minnesota. Doris, thank you so much. Uh, what's your reason for listening, and what do you get from listening to NPR News? What do you learn? Um, are you one of those individuals who listen a lot, and, and you're always peppering your conversation with, I, I heard on NPR today, um, annoying your friends and neighbors, perhaps? Or if you're even, if you just listen a few times during the week, that counts, too. It all counts when you start talking about supporting a community asset that NPR truly is. And any amount counts to make you a member listener. NPRnews.org, 1-800-227-2811, Gracie. I like what you said there, Kathy, whether, no matter kind of how you listen, because you know that you can count on NPR for newscasts every top of the hour, whether that is our lovely newscaster, Emily Reese, Phil Picardi on Morning Edition, Todd Melby in the afternoon. We have what you need to know in a couple of minutes or less, but we also bring you different thoughtful conversations about important topics right now in your communities. Again, about education, about the weather, about what's going on at the Capitol. We have some really fantastic political reporting, and we have have shows like Politics Friday, which makes a return tomorrow. But those kind of reporting programs, those stories that you need to hear are only made possible by support from members like you. We need to hear from 27 more people. Number just ticked down by 1 p.m. to stay on track. We've got a pretty big fundraising goal to meet by tomorrow night, and we are behind. We need to raise more than $270,000 more to make sure we can continue to build on this programming. Politics Friday, our new program, Talking Sense, so you can have better political conversations with your loved ones. So please, $5 a month, $10 a month, every gift of every size matters because even something small can make a huge difference for you and your neighbors. So please give to NPR News today. Now is the time. Go ahead and head to nprnews.org or speak to one of our lovely membership folks at 1-800-227-2811, Kathy. Well said. Mallory and Woodbury has given, and she says, I'm new to Minnesota, and NPR is helping me learn about the state while keeping me up to date with things in the larger world. Mallory, thanks so much. We created Minnesota Now specifically for folks to know what's happening around the great state of Minnesota, get to meet your friends and your neighbors, learn about what's happening, the very various issues. Um, and really get in-depth. It's news through a Minnesota lens. So I'm hoping Mallory has learned a little bit about her state by listening to the program. If you've been listening, specifically I'm talking to you. If you are a fan of the program, support us right now. mprnews.org, 1-800-227-2811. It is 1245 here on Minnesota Now. I can tell you that if you've ever been with a person living with dementia, especially in the later stages of the disease, one of the most amazing things to note is that one of the things that the disease doesn't take away is the enjoyment of music. And I speak from experience on that one. My dad had a, a type of dementia and couldn't speak, but could sing every word of every Johnny Cash song, and he loved it. There are choral groups specifically designed for folks living with Alzheimer's and other dementias and their caregivers. There are several in Minnesota, including what may be the newest one. There's the Giving Voice Chorus and the Hmong Folk Choir, organized by the nonprofit Happy USA in Brooklyn Center. Hmong cultural specialist Nancy Lohr launched the choir back in December. Their first concert is tomorrow, and Nancy's on the line. Thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you, Kathy. Thank you for having me here today. Um, yeah, um, we do have our first um, community performance tomorrow. So whoever is in the area, feel free to stop by, grab a bite to eat, and see what we're all about. Well, you know, I've noticed 
uh, Nancy, especially folks working with those who are living with dementia, there's always a personal story. Do you have a personal story that got you, that sparked your interest in getting this choir started? Yeah, for sure. So I don't have a personal story, but however, um, growing up, um, you know, being Hmong growing up, just having parents that are immigrants um, and, um, you know, being in refugee camps as well, um, just being able to give back to my community and giving offering resources for the seniors um, where there, there may be a lack of resources, for example, um, mental health issues aren't really talked about in the Hmong community. So just being able to provide a safe space for Hmong seniors to come together once a week um, to just express themselves freely through music. Um, so that's what really drove me to um, really get into this position and open up a space for these seniors to come to. So you've been just in existence for what, three months, I think, right? Yes, correct. What have you heard from members of the choir and their families about what they're getting out of this? Yeah, for sure. So I've asked them a few times. Um, we've had a few interviews with a few newspapers as well. So based off of what the clients have been telling me, um, it's a safe space for them to come to. So we meet once every week on Fridays for about two hours, give or take. Um, a lot of them have expressed that they have a space to freely express themselves through music. So in the Hmong culture, our folk music, it's more so of, so I'm going to uh, pronounce it in Hmong, it's called Gutsia. And it's more so of a kind of like a poetry kind of freestyle type of music. Um, so it's a space for them to come together and um, freestyle a little bit, um, connect through music. You know, it also helps them lower, um, you know, it has a space for them to come together and um, decreases isolation for the dementia clients. Mm -hmm. What about family members? Just give them a break? Oh, most definitely, yes. Um, With a lot of our clients, they do, um, a lot of them have expressed that they don't live with family members, so I don't really have the chance to really talk to um, the caregivers. Um, But then a lot of them do have friends or other family members who do come by their homes and, um, you know, provide caregiving services for them. Um, A lot of them have expressed that they don't live with their caregivers, though. But most definitely, yes. Um, With the choir, they are more than welcome to have their caregivers come and join um, the choir as well, just for a sense of uh, comfortability as well. Mm -hmm. Say, uh, let's talk a little bit about the concert, if we could. We have a clip of the song the choir will be singing at its first performance this weekend, and I I hope I don't mess up the um, pronunciation here. This is by the artist Macy Hoove. Let's listen. this song? What's it about? Yeah, most most definitely. So the song is talking about um, a past loved one, um, talking about, um, you know, just 
kind of like general love music that you hear today. Um, just saying things like, um, I love you so much, but you don't see my worth. Um, in the Hmong community, a lot of the times, um, relationships are, it is taboo to talk about relationships in the Hmong community, um, in the Hmong culture as well. Um, so expressing themselves romantically through music is uh, most definitely helpful for, for the seniors and the clients. So they're going to perform this song, which sounds lovely. What else will folks be performing at the concert? Yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of them, so they'll all be singing the song together, and then a lot of them do have their own individual songs that they will be performing as well tomorrow. Um, a lot of the songs that they will be performing are freestyle, so I'm super excited to hear it. Um, I'm sure they are excited to perform it as well, as well as being nervous, but um, I'm, I'm happy to see all the hard work that they've been putting into this choir for the past two months um, come to life tomorrow. Mm, I bet it's really wonderful to see choir members connect with some of their memories and their communities through some of these songs. Most definitely. I think in the beginning of the choir, a lot of them were really uh, to themselves and really shy, and that's completely understandable. Um, but I think what's really important is just getting to know each and every one of them and their backstory, um, getting to know what is um, important to them, what they value, and then just kind of incorporating that into the music that we do sing in the choir. So what advice, final question, do you have for anyone listening that might be in another community, be it... Um, uh, maybe Latino or other BIPOC community who might want to do something similar to what you're doing? Any any yes. advice for them? For sure. I think the biggest advice is to be um, culturally accepting. Um, so just kind of based off of what uh, kind of background, um, ethnicity that you are working with, just being culturally aware. That way you are more, um, you know, sometimes just being aware of like what's sensitive to them, what's sensitive, what is sensitive to their culture, and just kind of incorporating that into the sessions or making sure to not include certain things into sessions that may, um, may trigger them in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, where will the concert be held tomorrow? Yes, for sure. It will be right at Cappy USA, uh, located in Brooklyn Center. All right. Nancy, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Nancy Lohr is the Hmong Cultural Specialist at Cappy USA. As she mentioned, that's a Brooklyn Center nonprofit serving immigrants and refugees. She leads the organization's Hmong Folk Choir. They'll be performing for the first time tomorrow evening, 5 to 7 p.m. little window on your world there. I love those interviews where you can talk to individuals and you probably never had heard of the Hmong Folk Choir. Glad to give them a little airtime and tell you about what they're doing and, and the excitement around their concert. We do that a lot here on the program. We go all around the state talking to individuals doing some really interesting things. Thanks for supporting our efforts, by the way. We wouldn't be here without you. Minnesota Now was just this little idea a couple of years ago brought it forward. And with the help of staff and listeners supporting our efforts, got it off the ground. And I hope you like it. If you're one of our fans, if you've not made a contribution to support our work, do it now. 
eight people left to go on this little mini goal that we have here during the winter member drive. NPRnews.org, 1-800-227-2811. Producer Gracie Stockton is with us. How are you? I am well. How are you, Kathy? Good. Thank you. This has been an interesting experiment to watch this uh truncated winter member drive. I mean, in the past, mm-hmm. we've had drives that have been two weeks long, and now we've heard listeners say, eh, not so excited about that. Let's try something different. So we're doing these shortened drives, five days. Tomorrow's the last day. But the point is we need to hear from people to make this a success. We really do. And you know what? I, I personally am enjoying the shortened member drive because you and I are both news hounds. We want to get to those stories. We want to have those conversations. But that's only possible if mem- if people in our community step up, if current members up their sustaining donation. We need six more people to step up by 1 p.m. You got five minutes to keep our momentum going and keep us on track to raise $270,000 more by tomorrow night. It is a really important important thing we do here at NPR News. We are out in your community. We are having those conversations like the Hmong Choir. Um, And I actually have a comment to read here from Angela in Minneapolis. She just gave saying, thanks for reporting on Native American topics and gave a shout out to Melissa Olson and for consistently introducing Native people with a tribal affiliation. That Hmm. is a pretty wonderful thing. We we have this new Native news team here at NPR News. um, And that kind of reporting that our special programs like Politics Friday, Talking Sense, our new project, those things are only possible because of support from our communities. So now is the time to step up. If you haven't met, haven't yet, six more people by 1 p.m., please give us a call at 1-800-227-2811 or just hop online at mprnews.org, Kathy. I tell you what, wherever you're listening right now, maybe it's the lunch hour for you. And before you put another bite of food in your mouth, I do want you to make a contribution if you have the ability to do so. If you're listening on the stream, pretty simple to do that. Just click over. If you happen to be at the desktop at work, your boss won't mind. Go ahead. Click on over. If you happen to be at home working and you're doing some hybrid work, thanks for listening to us. Join the team here. Become a member, listener member in this NPR community. Five people left to go on this little mini goal that we have here during the noon hour. Uh, So appreciate hearing from all of you. Uh, Specifically, I'm going to do a little shout out here. I'm sure he's going to laugh when he hears this. Andrew, uh, St. Paul, just like to tune in every once in a while to get some quality news and programs And he's right. I mean, you don't have to listen every single day for hours at a time. A little bit, that still counts. You get to be a member and be counted in this, um, this, these, these various uh, goals that we have. And the overall listener community, you're part of it. Even if you listen for just every once in a while, thanks for making that that uh, contribution, which is a show of your support, Andrew. We appreciate it. Andrew in St. Cloud, by the way. NPRnews.org, 1-800-227-2811. Gracie. Well, you know, we need to hear from four more people, Kathy. That that number <laughs> keeps ticking down, which is really exciting. We've just got a couple of minutes here to keep us on track. But there are a couple of perks when you are able to donate those $5 a month, $10 a month. We right now have our very popular Minnesota Parks Pass, State Parks Pass back, which you get if you donate as our thank you gift to you. Year-round access to Minnesota State Parks. It is a wonderful option, and it is our thank you gift to you when you are able to step up and support our community journalism of NPR News. 
we need to raise $270,000 by tomorrow night in this shortened drive. But we really need your help to do that for more people, for more people to make that possible. So if you are able to support this quality journalism, support your neighbors, make these kinds of wonderful stories possible for your community, please right now go to mprnews.org or call 1-800-227-2811, Kathy. Maybe you're listening in St. Cloud, maybe Duluth, Range, Twin Cities, I don't know, overseas. We heard from someone from Scotland, somebody from the UK. We also called in from London earlier. It was It's just great fun to see where you all are listening from. Three people left to go. I know you're out there. Hop online, mprnews.org. Make a contribution in any amount. Get counted in the overall goal. Be a member of our community. Thank you. Thank you, Gracie. Have a good day. Programming is supported by the O'Shaughnessy presenting Letters Aloud, the Greatest Rejection Letters Ever, featuring NPR's own Angela Davis. Join us February 24th. Get your tickets at oshag.stkate.edu. I just love watching the countdowns that we have here. We made that goal. Thank you so very much for making those contributions during Minnesota Now. I so appreciate you all listening to the program. I can't tell you what it means to me and to the team that you're listening and you're adding your voice to the show. A lot of you send story ideas to us. Uh, the, the program is a success because of you, and thank you for supporting it with your hard-earned dollars. We appreciate it. This is NPR News 91.1 KNOW, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Sunshine, it's brilliant out there. It's really pretty. 25 degrees with that fresh snow, the high today, close to 30.